thankful to have this opportunity to speak with you. It is a blessing to be here for a weekend. Thank you for being here on a Friday night. I know there's a lot of things going on on Friday nights. I'm going to guess since this is Georgia, there's probably kids playing football somewhere. Uh, I hope that they're giving them a lot of Gatorade, even though that's from Florida, but that's a whole different discussion. Uh, but it is going to be a, a, a good weekend, and I'm glad that you have chosen to be here. I'm thankful that to have friends here, to have some family that I haven't uh, seen in a long time, and then be able to come here and worship with us tonight. Uh, if you will, let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, you are an amazing God. You love us, you care for us, but God, you, you choose to relate to us as a father, as a loving father, the most loving father we can ever imagine. Lord, we pray that you will help us to see how much you love us, the love that your son has for us. And may nobody leave here tonight not knowing that you care for them more than they can ever imagine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If I were to ask the question, who loves you, how would you answer that? It's a funny question for me because this is not the first time I've been in this building. I, I was in this building 15 years ago, and I was a groomsman for about the 47th time. Um, I'm not kidding. I rented enough tuxes to buy a four-wheeler. I mean, I, I, it, I, but I stood here. I can't remember which side the lady made me stand on. I knew that the, the wedding director, the, the mom, and the, and the bride all had different opinions on where we should all be, and we stood here and could, we were held hostage and couldn't eat until after they decided. And, uh, but I remember being here, and that was a day that was based on love. It was one of my college roommates had chosen to, get, to marry a young lady from here. Her, her name was Kelly Anderson. Some of you may know her. But who loves you? I can tell you, my mama loves me. This is a, a long-ago picture. My mom is somebody who loves me greatly. She was at my house taking care of my little boy last night. I'm so thankful for her love for me. Can I tell you, my daddy loves me. This is different pictures of him during his life, him holding my little boy. And I know for a fact that my daddy loves me. Can I tell you, my, my wife loves me. And yes, I know exactly when you see this picture what comes to mind. That woman right there found herself a trophy husband. I know that's what you're thinking. <laughs> it's all over you. I, mean, I can see it. Oh, I waited a long time and God blessed me for it. She loves me enough that we're here on her birthday weekend. She, her birthday was yesterday, and, and I'm thankful that we were able to be here. She loves me. My little boy loves me. I love coming in the house in the afternoon, and, and, and he is waiting there to see me. Now, most of the time he hides because he wants me to come find him. But when I find him, I get a big hug. I know that he loves me. My, my grandparents love me so much. My, my friends love me a great deal. Um, and tonight, if, if you've been invited to be here, whoever invited you loves you. That's why they, they chose to want you to come with them. They truly love you. How do you know somebody loves you? If I went through that list of my mom or my dad or my wife, my friends, it would be different ways that they show they care for me. It would be the ways they provided for me. It may be the, the ways that, that they sacrificed for me in my life. It would be the way that they have told me that they love me. But it is something that, that is not just said. It is said, but it is expressed in how they treat me.
what they want for me. You may be here tonight, and you may be struggling and going, Craig, I'm not sure anybody here loves me. So you don't know what's going on in my life, Craig. You have no clue what it is that I'm dealing with tonight, what struggle I'm going through. And right now in my life, I I want to let you know that I don't know if anybody loves you. Can I tell you? Somebody does. Jesus does. And my goal tonight is for you to not leave here feeling unloved. For you to know the great love that He has for you. And what I want to do is going to be a challenge in in some ways. If you will, if you want to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 15, I'm going to start reading in verse 12. I will say all my Scripture references will be up here, so you can read along if you would like. But I want to ask you to, to really listen to the words I read. Because even though it may not seem like it, this is one of the most loving passages I could ever read to you. Because if I remember, could, could say, hey, what would you think if, if I were going to read you something to, to, to express love? Some of you may say, you know what, if you'd read Shakespeare to me, if you'd read poetry to me, I could know what love is like. If you were to read the lyrics of a song or sing me some beautiful song, I could know that. Can I tell you, none of them compare with what I'm about to read. You may have never read this. You may have read it a thousand times. But read it like you never have. And let it sit in. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do to the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released them. For Barabbas, having scourged Jesus, he was delivered to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together a whole battalion and they clothed him in a purple cloak, twisting together a crown of thorns and they put it on him. And they began to salute him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking him on his head, spitting on him. and bowing down in homage to Him. And when they had mocked Him, they stripped and put the purple cloak and put His own clothes on Him, and they led Him out to crucify Him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Serene, who was coming from another country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry His cross. And they brought Him to a place called Golgotha, that is, a place of the skull. And they offered Him wine mixed with myrrh, and He did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them, deciding what each should take. And it was about the third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who even passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So the chief priests or the other scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved himself, saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. 
Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land till the ninth hour. In the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lama, Lama, Sabak, Eloi, Eloi, Lama, Sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed to give it to him to drink, saying, And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from, from top to bottom. And when the centurion which stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, and he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. What did you see? Did you see a man being hit and made fun of and spit on? Did you hear the nails being driven into his hands and feet and the crown being shoved down onto his head? Did you hear the crowd yell out, crucify him? Did you, did you hear that them getting ready to scream and yell and choose Barabbas over him? How do you feel? Would you have yelled to stop? Would you have yelled enough? Do you feel guilty? Do you feel humbled? I hope you feel loved. Because he did it for you. And he did it for me. He did it for everyone. Because every, every human being that's ever been created was created in the image of God. Every single one of us. And He wants everybody to be saved. He wants everybody to know how loved that they are by Him. Do you feel loved? Do you know that you are loved? In Mark 16, we're going to continue reading just for a moment. It says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and, and Salome brought spices that they might anoint him, go and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in, in, a, in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And, and he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. What I hope you feel now after that verse is hope. I've got to tell you that we have to realize that the crucifixion and the resurrection must both happen. 
See, Jesus was an incredible warrior, even though it doesn't look like it because he died. But he died and won the war. It's a pretty, pretty incredible thing. When he died on the cross, living a life of perfection, what he defeated was sin. And that means all of our sins, because of his death, can be forgiven, every single one of them. But three days later, when he came out of that grave, and the grave was empty, he defeated death. I hope you feel hopeful from that. It's amazing to me that, that that is what we get when we think about what Jesus did. He loves us. He cares for us. But if He just dies on a cross and He stays in the grave, then there's no use of us being here tonight. None. Because that means that when life is over, it's over. If he... But that's not what He did. Because of His love for us, because of His Father's love for us, He died on that cross so that we may have our sins taken away. And then He showed His power on the third day so that we can know that we will also be raised with Him. How awesome is that? So tonight, because of those two things, what can we know? What can we know? So it's one of those things that I don't know about you. If you let your thought, if you let your facts determine your feelings, or you let your feelings determine your facts, I'm pretty good at both of those sometimes, right? Sometimes I have to pull in, I have to, I have to regroup with that. Jesus loves you, that's a fact. Jesus died on a cross for you, that's a fact. Jesus rose on the third day. That's a fact. And because of those, there's some things I want, to, want you to know that you get from that. The first thing that, that you get knowing that is you get to live a life of purpose. You get to live a life of purpose. There's purpose to this life. There's a point to being here. See, when Jesus came to earth, He came with purpose. Luke 19.10 says, uh, For Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came with purpose. Not only that, we're told that when He was born, He had purpose. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, it says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He shall save their people from their sins. How awesome. He came to seek and save lost people. He came to do what? Save us from our sins. And this is really good because I'm a people. You're a people too. He came to save us for our sins. He came here with purpose. But not only that, Matthew 16, 18. After Peter said that you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God, he says, and I tell you, you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He came here to establish his church. Those are purposeful things. The church exists, yes, to praise God. The church also exists to glorify God. And some people say, aren't glorify and praise the same thing? Well, we praise God as we glorify Him, but I believe part of glorifying God is when people see us, they see Him. That we help be the evidence that a loving God exists and love them. 
He gives purpose. Do you have a purpose? One of the great questions of life, it's one of the great philosophical questions, is why, why on earth am I here? What meaning is there to life? Why, why on earth am I here? Is there anybody you're jealous of? Is there anybody you kind of like to swap places with? You ever want to be rich and famous? Some of you are like, I'll just take the rich, right? I'm not worried about the famous part. And what's sold to us is that this would be the goal of every person, right? If everybody knew who I was, if people would laud me for who I am, if I, had, if I had money and I had fame and I had fortune, then everything on this earth would be incredible. But my question is, if that's the purpose in life, then why do so many people who are rich and famous seem to really struggle? I'm not poking fun at them at all. I'm glad that there aren't people chasing me with a camera all the time. Is there a day that goes by we don't read of someone who we would say, man, that person's got it made. They got more money than they know what to do with. They, they've got a career. They've got this. And we see their struggle with addiction and abuse and struggle to keep relationships together. Struggle with depression, struggle with death. We shouldn't be shocked and, because there's a the guy in the Old Testament named Solomon and he tried everything <laughs> to bring himself pleasure. And he said at the end, the only thing is to fear God and keep His commandments. Everything goes back to Him. What's beautiful is for us is because of Jesus dying on a cross, because He rose on the third day, we have purpose. Our purpose is to glorify Him. It is to praise Him. But it is to show the people in the world that God exists. And we do that through loving others. We do that through telling others. We do that through serving others. We, we do that, and it's a difference between life and death. And the beauty is when we live a life on purpose, then we not only have something worth living for, we have something worth dying for. And that changes everything. We have purpose. Not only that, but because Jesus died on a cross for our sins, and was raised on the third day. I can know that my failures are not fatal. There's forgiveness. The power of forgiveness. I tell people I'm not competitive, I just hate to lose. I don't know if you're like that. I don't like failing. It's amazing how many, many things I've learned when I failed. Since I have the inability to live perfectly, failure is going to be a part of my life and fail in different ways. Uh, and I don't know how, how you have failed in your life, but, but I'm going to say it may be something as simple as at times we have failed walking, right? You ever tripped? Absolutely, right? You, we have failed even trying to take a step. 
There's times, I will tell you, as a preacher, I speak a lot. And sometimes I don't say things the way that I want to say them. I fail as a husband. I fail as a father. I have failed as a son at times. I, I, I will tell you that is something. But I'm glad that's not the end of the story. Sometimes we forget that somebody like Babe Ruth at one time led the league not only in home runs, but in strikeouts. Somebody said that baseball is the only sport in the world where you can be successful three out of every ten times and go to the Hall of Fame. Fail seven out of every ten times. We got a little boy at our congregation who uh, has decided to ride bulls. And he is, I love this kid. And he's about, he's about eight. He's a little bitty guy. And I don't think he's made it yet. Every picture his parents show, he is coming off a bull in some shape, form, or fashion. But he gets back on. Week after week. There's a beauty to that. There's a beauty to the forgiveness of Jesus. To know that on the cross, He he cries out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He is a forgiving God. Why? Because He loves you. He wants you to be with Him for an eternity. When I think about Romans 3.23, for all is sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. One of the problems at times with preaching is you only quote half a verse. And this is a verse that we want to show that people have sinned. And not just people, all people will sin. Don't forget the other half. We can keep on going with, uh, he goes on and, and says the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And we think about this, we follow all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. But He is what? He is a forgiving God. His grace is extended to those. His forgiveness is extended to those who, who follow Him. And we see this in this verse. We see that for the wages of sin is death, but what? The free gift of God is eternal life. We see this beautiful promise the Hebrew writer gives us. I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Amen. I think a gift I would love is to be able to Forget my sins quicker than God does. Your failures aren't fatal. You keep getting up. That's the beauty of repentance and confession. (laughs) God, I messed up. And He says, I know. And He loves us. And we keep walking toward Him. There's a quote that I've seen make the rounds, but I think it's beautiful. Satan says, look at your sin, and God says, look at my son. I think there's something there that so many times we, we realize, and the Bible does say that sin separates us from God, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. It sure does separate us from God. But His blood on that cross brings us back to Him. 
Our failures are not fatal. We have a God who, who wants to forgive. We have purpose. We have forgiveness. Also, because of Him dying on the cross and being raised the third day, you need to know that your pain in this earth is not permanent. I probably need to say that again. Our pain is not permanent. Getting a shot is not fun. It's just not. I, I pulled up at Walgreens yesterday to pick up something. They said, I want to let you know the flu shots are in. I was like, yay, you know. <laughs> you know I, it, it's not something that I look forward to. When I was in, in middle school, I had some health issues. They were trying to figure out what was going on, so they put me in Laboner Children's Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, they had to do a spinal tap on me. They missed 13 times. My dad stepped in. My dad, uh, first there was like the uh, Final Four games were going on, and, and uh, people were watching them. My dad turned the TV off, and he told them to go find somebody who knew what they were doing. I just edited how he said that, <laughs> and with the tone he said it, and with his ability to get other people out of the room who didn't need to be there. The next fellow that came in got it right. It was amazing. But you know when you go to the doctor... Before you get a shot, one of the things that the nurse will tell you is what? This is going to be a stick. Ever heard that? Sometimes they will say, do you want me to surprise you or not? That's a new thing. Do you want to know or not know? But for the most part, they don't want to scare you. This is going to be a stick. Can I tell you in this life, there's going to be a bunch of sticks? A lot. I don't know what pain you're in tonight. I don't know if you're struggling financially. I don't know if you're struggling and needing a job. I don't know if you have a job, but you hate your job. And there's things going on at your job, you're struggling, but you feel like you can't quit because you're not sure you can get another job, and you feel the pain of that. I don't know what your marriage is like tonight. I don't know if you're somebody who's single who desperately wants to be married and that's its own struggle. I don't know if you're somebody who's recently gone through a divorce or went through one 20 years ago. I know it still hurts. I don't know if you're somebody whose family is struggling. Your children aren't living the way that they should. Your children aren't faithful. Or maybe your children are struggling with a sickness or something is going on. Or maybe for a child it's your parents are really struggling and how they're living. And that pain is real to you. I don't know if you're somebody who doesn't have any friends and wish you had friends. Or the friends you have, you're really struggling with them right now and there's pain involved. I don't know if you're somebody who, who's gone through and had a medical diagnosis or medical problems that nobody can seem to figure out what's going on. I don't know if you're somebody who's in chronic pain. And I don't know if you're somebody who stood in front of the casket recently. 
But this world is filled with pain. Job said it this way in Job 14, 1 and 2. Mortals are born of woman, are a few days and full of trouble. They spring up like flowers and wither away like fleeting shadows they do not endure. Pain is real. Hurt is real. Christians are not immune to it. But there's beauty. Because we won't always hurt. There is a hourglass, if you will, that is winding down on the pain in this world. And one day it's going to run out, the Lord's going to return, and the pain we have suffered here, we will not suffer anymore. Why? Because Jesus loved you enough to die on a cross and to be raised and had the power to be raised on that third day. And finally, once you know your death's not final. Your death's not final. As Jesus is on the cross, there's a thief on each side of him. They both begin by deriding him, but as they're they're part of this conversation, one of them goes from derision to faith. And Jesus tells him, today you'll be with me in paradise. There's something beyond here. How much does God love and forgive? Jesus forgives the guy who is just saying horrible things to him, who is being convicted of being a thief. When he acknowledges who Jesus is. He is not here. He is risen. See, that statement is the the hope statement of Scripture. It is something that that lifts us up, something that blesses us so very much. And I'm going to tell you, if you stood in front of a casket, you need it. You need to know there's more. Back in February of this year, I I did five funerals in 15 days. Too bad preachers only work one day a week, right? It's hard to get them all in on Sundays. About two weeks later, I did three and seven days. One of the blessings of being a, a preacher... It is hard, but is that families invite you into their lives for their moments of pain, and they allow you to be there with them. Some of those funerals were celebrations. They were celebrations of people whose lives were committed to Jesus, people who had given their life to Jesus, people who have confessed His name, people who have been baptized for remission of their sins, people who had walked in faith. And I will say that, that those funerals themselves, they were beautiful. They were hopeful. There's also funerals of families. God's the final judge. Okay, I'm not Him. I'm not God, I'm not the final judge. 
But there's also families who felt like the person they were burying lived without faith, and they struggled. Can I tell you? It hurts. It hurts. But for us to know that an empty tomb means there's, there's more than this world. There's more than this world. There was a, a quote that a friend of mine said a couple years ago. Michael Whitworth made this quote. He had um, he'd lost a son, a very young son. And this quote just hit me. He said, if an empty tomb doesn't take your breath away, he said, then you've never wept beside a grave. Some people will give up their faith because of death of others, somebody they love. Other people will strengthen their faith because they want to see them again. I used to have hair and used to not have any hair on my face. I don't know what it was. When I was a youth minister, I could not grow a goatee. I'd grow and I'd have these bald spots right here. All of a sudden, I'd had all the hot dogs I could stand and decided I wanted fried chicken, so I became a preacher. Y'all know if you, you ever changed? That, that, I made that change. And within a year into preaching, it came in full. I'm like, I don't know what happened. I don't know if the Lord was waiting to... He'd probably give me the ringlets if I was Jewish, but I'm not. So that's what I got was the goatee, all right? I went to New Zealand on a mission trip when I was in college. And we went to this uh, wonderful congregation in New Plymouth. This lady's name, everybody just called her Ma. Ma was Maori. That's her. her uh, and uh, I laughed because, as Johnny Cash would say, Ma sang bass. I actually, I actually asked my dad, I always sang it. Ma did sing bass. We'd sing the song, A Beautiful Life. You know, each day I'll do. And you get to the bass, last evening, son, she led it. Because the song leader's always wondering who's going to take the lead. All of a sudden, Ma, I see. I thought J.D. Sumner was over there. I wasn't sure what was happening. We were there about two weeks. It was an awesome trip. It wasn't one of those you had to go and come right back. And we got to worship with Ma every day. And I preached quite a bit when I was over there. I actually preached this lesson, a version of it. And she came up to me afterwards, knowing we were going to be heading out the next day. And she's in her 80s at this point. And she just said, you know, Craig, I'll never see you here again. And she hugged me. She goes, but I'll see you. Wow but I'll see you. Did she say that in arrogance? No, she said it in faith. She said that because she knew that Jesus Christ had died on the cross and taken away her sins. said that because she knew that on the third day Jesus was raised from the dead and that one day she would be raised too. And all those who will live in faith will have the same the same beautiful destination. 
So here's what she knew in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 14. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. The same power that raised Jesus will raise us. Tonight, who loves you? Jesus does. And I don't know who you believe loves you the most in this world. It may be your, your mom, dad, your, your boyfriend, girlfriend, your child, grandparent. It may be a friend. Nobody loves you more than Jesus. And tonight you have an opportunity to respond to that love. A love like no other. What Jesus has told us to do to respond to His love is to believe that He is the Son of God. To acknowledge Him as the Messiah. You are the chosen one sent by, the, sent by God to this earth. To, to, to acknowledge Him is that also to repent. That means whatever direction I'm heading in my life, I'm turning away from that direction and I'm turning to Him. And to be baptized for mission of our sins. See, there's something beautiful about baptism, I think, that, that we, we might overlook at times. See, when we are baptized, we get to reenact Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We stand in the water dead in our sins. And what do we do with dead people? We bury them. And then we're raised up to walk in a new life. See, there's something beautiful about baptism. There's a lot beautiful. One of the things that's beautiful about, about baptism is it goes from a funeral to a birth. It's, it's incredible. Back during that funeral streak in February, I'm in the, the room, in a hospital room, when a person breathe their last and the family and I were gathered around we're praying and as we are praying we hear the little notification go off that a baby had just been born you hear those in hospitals right the little and the family instead of crying just started laughing they thought about how, how cool that was to know that when we respond to His love, we get to reenact His death, His burial, and resurrection. And from then on, we get to live in hope of our own resurrection. Tonight, can we help you? Tonight, I want you to know that, that it is something incredible, that you can live a life of purpose, you can live a life of forgiveness, you can live a life where your pain is not permanent, that God is with you here, and He has something greater for you there, and know that there's something so much better for you than it's here. Wow. Because He loves you. Tonight, if we can help you, it may be that you want to become a Christian tonight. Maybe that you say, Craig, I just, I just need to talk about this some more. You know, I'm, I'm just in this process, and I, I, I'm not sure. I just, I've got questions now. I, we would love to be able to talk with you and answer questions. And it could be that you want to walk up here, and we'll meet with you and talk with you. Or maybe afterwards you say, hey, could, could we talk? We'd love to. 
Or maybe tonight that you want to respond and say, hey, I just need this church family to pray for me, and we'd love to do that. If we could help you tonight, would you come while we stand and while we sing? Thank you, Brother, Brother Evans, for that lesson. Don't forget, we're having a fellowship downstairs afterwards, and 
plan to be back tomorrow night at 7 o'clock for another lesson. Closing song will be number 784. I know we sing this quite a bit as a communion song, but I think it's fitting for the message tonight. Why did my Savior come to earth? We'll sing all three verses. Why did my Savior come to earth and to you bow with me please dear heavenly father we're so grateful for this opportunity not only on the first day of the week which is your day but each and every day is your day and we're grateful for the freedom that we have in this country in this local congregation to gather and assemble to to sing songs that will lift up our spirits because we know that 
you are the Father and the creator of all things. We also are grateful for our brother, Evans, that has been able to come down with his family from Tennessee and Mount Juliet to be with us to bring a portion of your word. And we're grateful for the scriptures that were cited this evening that will continue to prick our hearts with, with your love and the touch of comfort, the touch of grace that you've bestowed upon each and every one of your children. We ask as we continue throughout this harvest weekend that we'll be all attending, attending as many opportunities as presented for us. We also ask that we'll take to heed all the, the passages and not get through the weekend, but apply those in our lives that we understand whether we're a new Christian, one that have been faithful for all their life, or hearing the, your word for the first time that we can carry that love in our hearts and knowing that your son Jesus did leave heaven, did reign there, but also came and reigned here while he preached his ministry and, and understand that he suffered so much due to our sins. And we ask that we also are mindful for the times that of three days that he suffered away from you in the grave. And we know that it was because of the burdens of our sins that he could not be with you and had to be separated. But we ask that we never forget that time that we're understanding that he did love us and was willing to be separated because he served you and loved us. And we ask also for the food and that has been prepared downstairs that'll nourish our bodies and continue to keep us healthy. And we ask for safe departures this evening and from the fellowship that we'll have afterwards. But most of all, we're grateful for your son and through him we offer our prayers. Amen. <laughs> 